BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Born in the Rockies, Coors Light is lagered cold for a crisp, clean taste. Filtered cold to ensure clarity and brightness. And packaged cold for peak refreshment. Because those who thirst for more deserve the world's most refreshing beer. Welcome to the Hot Stock Podcast, brought to you by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. I am Pat Boyle. On this edition of the Hot Stock Podcast, it's all about the Blackhawks defenseman prospects. We run down the top four in the system with Mark Eaton, the Director of Player Development. Charlie Romeliotis will join me on the other side. We'll get his thoughts on what Mark Eaton had to say, and we'll begin to look towards the future next season as far as it goes on the blue line for the Chicago Blackhawks. But first things first, we catch up with Mark Eaton, the Director of Player Development for the Blackhawks. All right, Mark, let's begin our breakdown of the Hawks' defenseman prospects with Henry Yokiharyu. He was the first-round pick, of course, in 2017. He'll turn 20 in June. Played 38 games with the Hawks last year. Went to the World Juniors during the season and came back, but spent most of the, the rest of the campaign with Rockford. Uh, can you evaluate his growth over the past year? I, I think it was, uh, you know, if you put the year uh, in a nutshell form, it was a, it was a great year of growth and development. I mean, I think uh, the biggest thing for defensemen is, is just experience. I mean, you, you went, especially with Henry going from juniors at the WHL, um, making the step right into the NHL, that's, that's a huge jump, and it's, uh, there's nothing that prepares you for playing defense in the NHL other than playing against NHL forwards and doing it on a, a day-to-day basis and practice against your teammates and then, and then in-game situations. So just the, the experience that Henry was able to get this year, uh, I think will be invaluable for his overall growth and development. And what part of his game does he need to work on, on most as we get ready for a new season? Well, I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, when, when we're talking about a, a lot of the, the D prospects that, that we're going to be talking about there, from NHL defenseman standards, they're undersized. So it's, it's learning to deal with uh, bigger, faster, stronger forwards, um, not just containing them, but being able to um, end plays, separate them from the puck, and, and that these guys being what they are, a lot of times it's not going to happen physically. They're not going to out-muscle guys, so it's, it's learning to use their assets to their advantage. With Henry, he's a, he's a smart player, skates very well, um, so it's, it's putting himself in the right positions and, and using that quickness and skating ability to uh, poke pucks off of uh, forward sticks and, and you know create separation other than, you know, doing it in, in the old-fashioned kind of physical standard. So it's learning those parts of the game. Let's move to Adam Boquist, the eighth overall selection last year. Uh, had 60 points in 54 games with London. Uh, he's going to turn 19 in August. Give us a breakdown on his, his last year. 
Uh, again, and I think it was a, another very productive year for him, uh, growth and development-wise. I think uh, one of the biggest things, just a, a non-hockey factor, is spending a year over in North America, getting getting out of Sweden, getting uh, getting out of his comfort zone, started and starting that process of learning the, the North American culture. Uh, getting more comfortable with the language, associating with, uh, you know, mainly English-speaking teammates, which is what it's going to be, you know, when he makes that jump to to Chicago. So just getting inundated with the culture of North America, um, learning to to live on his own away from his parents and his family is is a huge step in his development. And then from a a hockey standpoint, um, I was – yeah, I know we had prospects on both sides with Entwistle and Guelph and, and Henry and uh, London, but, you know, I, I was kind of sad to see London's season end there in the second round because Henry, or sorry, I mean, Adam was um, was playing the best hockey of his season. And, you know, in talking with him afterwards, he felt like he was, uh, you know, really starting to get comfortable. And, and you could just see, uh, he was really enjoying the, the the magnitude of the playoffs, and uh, was you know I don't even think it, it is an argument that he was London's best player through, throughout the playoffs. So um, some some great steps from uh, from an off ice and an off on an, and an on ice um, aspect for Adam. And Mark, a lot of obviously these prospects we're talking about they're offensive minded defensemen where is mm-hmm. where's Boquist's defensive game at right now after a year with the Knights he took steps I mean uh, he he has offensive instincts like like I've never seen before and, and I'm not gonna you know from a development standpoint I'm not gonna make him any better in that aspect of his game he he's already worlds above what I ever was as a player so you know anytime we had conversations or um, shared some video. It had to do with defensive habits and kind of the things that I talked about with Henry. Adam being a, an undersized guy, learning to use his quickness and his and his uh, speed and agility, um, not only when he has the puck, but in, in defensive terms as well. And those were, uh, again, parts of his game that I think he, he took some big strides in to, uh, as the season progressed. And, um, you know, a lot of the habits that, that the Blackhawks like to, to see in their defensemen and, and Jeremy values. Uh, those are things that, that we talked about pretty much every time that we we had a conversation. So he, he started to get comfortable with that. And, um, you know, it, it his, his defensive game isn't, you know, doesn't deserve the bad reputation that it's gotten. He, he has some great habits. Um, you know, with his angling and his gap control in the neutral zone, and, and he uses his stick very well as an asset defensively. So, uh, um, it, again, in, in those regards, he definitely took some strides through the course of the year. Mark, we moved to uh, Nicholas Bodan, the 27th selection last year. He's not going to turn 20 until October. Uh, played in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League last year and was uh, over a point per game player for Drummondville. How would you evaluate Bodan's play the past year? Again, I, I think he had a good season, and uh, I mean it's uh, it's a good thing that I'm repeating myself saying <laughs> those things. But I, but I think all all of our uh, all of our prospects, in particular the the four that you mentioned, uh, had uh, good years as far as development goes. I mean, uh, 
Nick again has uh, you know he's he's a smooth skater, uh, very heady player, cerebral player, uses his mind well out on the ice, and um, has some offensive abilities. Put up the numbers like you said, but my my challenge to him was always uh, to to be the best defensively as well, be the best on both sides of the puck, and um, you know I, I think he finished the season. Yeah, was it close to plus 50 or 60? So that I think that speaks to um, the the onus that he put on the defensive part of his game, and, and that showing that he's not a one-dimensional player. He 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 can do it on both ends of the rink and and impact games either way. Ian Mitchell announced last week that he's going to return to the University of Denver for his junior year. Uh, were you surprised that he was going to go back for the junior season? And, and what did you think about his, his past year on the ice? Um, you know, I, I think when, when that decision time came, I, I would have viewed it as a, as a coin toss, 50-50. So I can't say that I was surprised. Um, I just I, I had long conversations with him. I, I went through a similar process when, when I was in college, and I just gave him – um, you know, my experiences, pluses and minuses. Uh, you know, do I think that uh, it, he could have benefited from turning pro and, and, you know, potentially making the Blackhawks roster out of training camp? Absolutely. But, uh, you know, there's, you can find some benefits for him returning to school as well. So that's, uh, that, that's, uh, and I told him it's one of the, still to this day one of the hardest decisions I had to make in my life deciding to, to leave school and it's something that when you do decide to do it you have to make sure you're all in you know you don't want to just dip your toe in the water and, and you know find out your first year pro that, that you made the wrong mistake that you made the wrong choice so um, you know he, he spoke to the right people spoke with his family his agent all that and they they decided that uh, going back for his junior year was what they thought was best for him. So from a, from a, an organizational standpoint, from a development standpoint, we'll, we'll back that decision because it's, it's his life and he has to, to live it on a daily basis. So uh, we, we were just there to support him in whatever decision he made. But um, uh, he too, he took, took some good strides this year. He, uh, you know, he was a defensive leader for Denver. Um, you know, it's no surprise either that the, the guys that we've talked about, they, they went deep into their seasons. Uh, Ian going to the Frozen Four with Denver. Um, Bo Quist going to Game Seven of the second round, and Bo Dan still playing right now in the, in the Quebec Major Junior League playoffs. So, um, you know, they're they're leaders on all of their respective teams, and there's a reason those teams had success. So, um, Ian, Ian again, we, we've talked about with his return to school. Uh, talking about what he needs to do next year to make it a productive year and, and building off of the strides that he took this year. So, um, you know, I have no doubt that he'll continue to, to develop and progress the way he has the last two years. We finish up our breakdown of the defenseman prospects with uh, Chad Chris, who just turned 21, uh, originally from Philadelphia, like yourself, played at, at Boston University for three years, and then he signed that three-year entry-level contract back in March and played a handful of games with Rockford. How did you evaluate his play? And uh, yeah, I think it was like nine games he played with the Ice Hogs. What did you see when he was uh, in the AHL? 
Yeah, I mean, in a lot of regards, I, I liked his game uh, better when I saw him in Rockford at the end of the year than at times at BU during the season. And that's not to say he played poorly uh, for BU. It's just that, um, you know, a lot of times the smarter players, which which Chad is one of them, you know, when they go, when they make the jump from college to pro, uh, you know, they're, they realize that they're they're playing against bigger, stronger, faster guys, so they, they're not trying to do too much. And, and a lot of times that's uh, one of the hardest things to teach young defensemen is, is to not do too much, play within yourself, make the play that's, that the other team is giving you, keeping it simple. And, um, you know, sometimes when you're forced into a, a new environment, uh, you know, going from college to pro, uh, it, it forces your hand to play simple, and, and that was – one of the things that we talked about a lot through Chad's three years at BU was, um, you know, not waiting, not not trying to skate around guys or skate through guys, and then um, when you have to make a pass, make a pass. So make that start playing like a pro in the college ranks. You know, when the play is there, when it's open, if there's a player open ahead of you, make that pass and, and make life easier on yourself. And he he did that extremely well in Rockford and he and I think that was the best part of his game at BU this year too I uh, he moved the puck this year better than um, at either of his previous two years at BU um, and more often than not when the puck was on his stick it was uh, he, he made a good play with it and, and put a teammate in a good position to, to continue the play. Mark from a development standpoint how much of a challenge is it organizationally you know, we're talking about a group of offensive-minded defensemen. That's where this NHL is at. Um, obviously, you, you want to see them improve their defensive game, but you don't want them to change the player they are. How do you walk that fine line of, of stressing the, the defensive side of the game without taking away from who the player really is and what they ultimately can be in the NHL? Mm-hmm. That's a good question, and I, you know, I think the answer differs for the, each prospect that you're talking about. I mean, uh, you get to know certain ones. Some are riskier players that are all offense that you know disregard defense, but you know, you just you have to get constantly get the point across that the 31 NHL head coaches out there all of them, the number one thing that they want in defensemen is they want to be able to trust putting them out on the ice. And that's not trusting them to go out on the ice to, to score goals or, or create offense. It's being able to trust putting them on the ice to take care of their own end. And then any offense that comes out of it is, is a bonus. So it's, it's consistently and constantly reminding them of that aspect. But, um, you know, kind of like I like I was talking about Adam, it's, you know, letting them do what they do. I say, and that's what I tell most of the guys when, when you have the puck, um, you know, do your thing. And I'm never going to tell you not to try to create offense. So if, if I see you getting too risky, you know, if you're the last guy back and you're trying to beat guys one-on-one and turning pucks over, that's then causing odd man rushes against or chances against then you know, that we need to rein them in and, and start talking about, decision-making process and whatnot but um you know as long as they're being smart with the puck uh and and i think most coaches are this way too you never try and um 
you know, handcuff the creativity of these top offensive players. And that's all of these guys that we, that we just talked about have that, that natural, those offensive instincts, um, and, and that creativity. And a lot of times that's what, that's what makes them go. You know, if they're not able to, to do what they do with the puck, then, you know, sometimes they're, they're disengaged in games. So you, you have to, uh, let them play, but, uh, you know, just keep them within the rails as they go and, and point things out uh, as you see them. Of the five we've mentioned, I would assume that Yoki Haru has the leg up uh, about pl- of, above the rest about playing in the NHL next season simply because he played last year. Uh, mm-hmm. Would it be... Would it be aggressive or crazy to think that another one of those players could also make the jump to the NHL next year? Uh, no, I don't think it would be outside the realm of possibility. I mean, uh, like you said, just what I talked about earlier with the experience, Henry has that advantage. But, um, you know, all of that being said, I'm – always of the mindset and you know i know we're we're in a what have you done for me lately and a, and a win now business i you know for me it's take things as slow as possible i mean if you look back at henry starting the year in chicago would it would that have happened if if murphy wasn't hurt and, and forsling wasn't hurt you know you'd make a case probably not so um you know i from a developmental standpoint, you know, the the old saying of there's there's never any harm in letting guys over-ripen or over-marinate, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I think you can do more harm rushing these guys to the NHL than, um, you know, having them spend a, an extra year in junior or, or Rockford. You know, that's why we, we have such a great staff in Rockford. Uh, we, we definitely shouldn't be afraid to use them. They've done a great job developing players from – from that level, um, and you know, guys have shown when they've made that jump to the Blackhawks from Rockford that uh, they're better players and they're, they're able to contribute. So, um, yeah, kind of skirting skirting your question. Uh, you know, could one of them make it? Uh, absolutely, but um, you know, my personal opinion, I, I you know, I'd like to see them uh, work their way up and and. They're, they're going to earn it anyway. If, if one of them does make it out of training camp, they'll, they'll definitely have earned it. Um, but that's, uh, that's what's great about having these handful of guys kind of all, all in the mix at once is they, they all know of each other. They all know they're competing against one another, and, and I think that competition is, is going to bring out the best in all of them and uh, you know the, the cream will rise to the top. And you, you mentioned work their way up, and, and I'm going to conclude with this. Eric Gustafson, an incredible year, a breakout season, one of only six D-men in the league to reach 60 points. Um, for not only the defensemen in the Blackhawks system, but basically everyone, to see a guy who was up and down between the minors and the NHL, by his own admission said that he thought it was maybe his last shot to prove that he belonged in the NHL, and he puts up those elite numbers. What kind of message or effect can that have on players throughout your system? Oh, profound effect and message. I mean, because he uh, he did battle the you know up and down uh, most of the full season the year before in Rockford. So and and, and that's the thing with a lot of young guys. They don't. Uh, and I'm not saying it's it's 
the prospects that we talked about, but just the they think it's NHL or bust. That it, you know, if they don't make the NHL out of training camp, that you know they've failed. It's a disappointment. The the, the respect for the AHL isn't quite there. Um, so you know, to to see a guy like Gus do what he did after spending uh, multiple years in the AHL um, can can give some proof that. Yeah, you, you can develop, you can hone your game and, and do what you have to do at the American League level so that when you do get your opportunity at the NHL level, you're, you're more ready, you're more prepared to, uh, to seize that opportunity. And, you know, the, the, most of these prospects nowadays are, are visual learners, so for them to actually be able to, to see that and see uh, an example within the organization like Gustafson uh, can hopefully motivate them and and help them realize that okay these young guys if they don't make the hawks out of training camp it's it's not a death sentence to to start your career in the ahl that's where i'd say 99 percent of uh you know nhl careers begin especially for defensemen is in the american league so uh you know there's there's proof that guys come through there um, and they become impact players Mark, great stuff. Thank you for doing this, and we look forward to catching up later on this summer. My pleasure. Thanks, Pat. I also look forward to it. Thanks. Get all of your Blackhawks news in the palm of your hand with the My Teams app by NBC Sports, the best place to stream the games, watch highlights, read articles, and more. Download the My Teams app today. Back on the Hawks Talk podcast, brought to you by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. With Charlie Romeliotis, I am Pat Boyle. Okay, so we heard from Mark Eaton. We broke down, you know, the top four in the system. Uh, what were your takeaways from what Mark had to say? Yeah, just a lot of positives across the board. I think when you draft these first-rounders, and even Ian Mitchell is a second-rounder, but maybe view it as a first-rounder, you just want to make sure that their developments are progressing positively and especially where all of them are at separate places, like Mitchell's in college, uh, Bodan's in the, the queue, and, and uh, Boquist is in the OHL. So you want to make sure that they're all progressing. It's not going to be linear for all of them, but you don't want any red flags. And I think there were a lot of positives But when uh, he was discussing all four of them. Yeah, you know, you, you look at their numbers, and, um, you know, Henry had that year where, and I thought he made great points, you know, Yoki Haru is probably not up if Forsling and Murphy weren't injured at the beginning of last year. Yeah. So, you know, maybe the um, the expectations we had for Yoki Haru last year were inflated only because the team needed his services uh, because of injury. And then when we thought, you know, he would go away and uh, play in the World Juniors, that that would, you know, boost the confidence and he would come back and, and kind of continue on a linear path in the NHL. And again, maybe those expectations were uh, too high and it was more he was playing and getting that experience because of injury. Yeah, he, I mean, he had, he had such a, a long season last year. He played in the NHL, then he went to the World Juniors, then he played in the AHL. Like, he was bouncing around everywhere and it's so different for those young guys, especially defensemen, when they're coming from leagues where they're only playing 45, 50 games and, and a little bit of playoffs, and then they come to the NHL and they're so young and it's an 82-game season, just the regular season, and then the playoffs, it's like every one game is is actually two regular season games with the intensity because it's just like all out in the playoffs. So 
I think a big part of the development for the Blackhawks and what they're treating these young defensemen is they want to make sure that when they make the step to the NHL, they're ready both mentally and physically. And I think Yoki Haru, they wanted to give him uh, a chance in Rockford to say, okay, hone your game, play a lot of minutes out of the spotlight so you're not mentally fatigued either. And you can, the next time you're in the NHL playing full time, you're going to be able to thrive and you know what it's like to pace yourself at that high of a level. And uh, he, again, had a lot of great things to say about Adam Boquist. Some takeaways there was, um, you know, that, hey, just getting used to living in North America and adapting to the North American uh, style of play. And he was really impressed that he was playing his best hockey um, in the playoffs. And, he, you know, he talked about the, the great comeback that Guelph had in their, uh, in their first-round matchup against the London Knights. But the one thing I took away from his comments on, on Adam Boquist was, you know, some of the criticism that Adam takes about his defensive game is not deserved. Yeah, and, and it's just, a, I don't know, it's just a little bizarre to me that we're trying to find ways to critique this kid. Like, he just scored 10 goals in, in however many playoff games, and no other defenseman had more than six through the first two rounds. Like, he was among the league leaders in points and what, and we're trying to find a way to knock this kid. Like, you know, sure, there are going to be defensive issues. Uh, you know, you look at Eric Carlson in San Jose, like he just got ridiculed all in, in the first round because he was on the ice for so many goals against, but they don't score that game-winning goal in game seven without him because he made that play to make it happen. So it's like you have to take the good with the bad, and he's going to be out there on, on the ice for a lot of good things more than bad things, and I think you have to build off of that. And that's why I asked the question about the challenge with all these offensive-minded defensemen when you're developing these guys and you're trying to tell them to be responsible defensively, but also you don't want them to be something they're not. I mean, right. you know, and, and you don't want to take away that special aspect of their game because they're working on the deficient part of their game. So that, that's a challenge, it, it, you know, and it's really a challenge uh, for the Blackhawks as a whole because they have so many of the same type of player it's going to come down to which one of those players do they think has the, the real special offensive upside and who can they pair them with that will complement the part of their game that, that needs the most help. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something the Blackhawks as a whole should be working on because it's not necessarily one guy that should focus more on the defensive side of things. Like I feel like last year all of the Blackhawks could have done a better job defensively the, the defensemen the forwards and you're making everyone's job easier if everyone is committed to, to helping out on the back end you can't just rely on a stay-at-home defenseman and try to maybe go out this free agency and get a stay-at-home defenseman to patch up the defense like you need guys that are committed to playing defensively and guys that can, can get the puck out of the zone quickly and make smart decisions and that's that's how you're going to eliminate the high quality turnovers not uh, the high quality chances against not necessarily guys that you bring in and and you know making them change the way they they play like oh, the whole team needs to change totally agree with you on that uh, to put a bow on the on the prospects uh, he said uh, he thought it was basically a coin toss whether Mitchell would go back for his junior season or he would uh, try to make the the step to the pros and you know Mark went back to his own experience played at Notre Dame was uh, making that decision of do I sign with Philadelphia and begin my pro, you know my pro career or do I stay 
uh, in college. Uh, and, and he said, you know, y- you better be ready to make that full commitment. And so uh, I did not surprise him that Mitchell stayed uh, with the University of Denver. And then as far as Chad Chris was concerned, um, you know, he talked about, uh, you know, he liked what he saw more in the, the handful of games. I think it was only nine games he played with Rockford over what he saw at Boston University. Yeah, I, I, with Chris, I feel like when you move from college to the pros, it's a lot more organized. It's not guys that are uh, – I remember watching, watching that video. The Blackhawks did a great job with Brian Campbell um, and, and him working with Adam Boquist. And one thing that stuck out to me in that video was Adam Boquist is wide open coming down, back door or whatever, and, and Brian Campbell was like, Patrick Kane will find you there. He, he will find you there. That guy is not. So I think – in a way, Chad, Chris, and these other young guys that are coming to the professionals, they're going to see that they, college guys are so different from professional. And the pros are going to find him there in the right spots. And it's much more structured. And when he gets to the NHL, he's going to find that it's even more structured. And we even saw it with Carl Dahlstrom this year, how he made that transition from the AHL to the NHL. And he happened to be better because it was way more structured and he found himself in the in the right spot in the NHL because it can, things can get a little wild in the AHL uh, structurally. And uh, to wrap things up with uh, our conversation with Mark Eaton, at the end, you know, I think I said that Yoki Haru probably has the leg up on this group of prospects only because, you know, he got some, some run in the uh, NHL last year. Would he be shocked if another player, Boquist Bodan, uh, joined Yoki Haru on the Blackhawks roster when they break camp next year. And, he, you know, kind of tiptoed around it, but he said he wouldn't be totally shocked. Yeah, I yeah, left the door open. I don't think you want to necessarily put a timeline on who could step in right away. I think you just want to let them develop at their own pace. And I think all, all the situations are unique where Bodan took strides, but he might not be NHL ready, but he could be a guy that we see in the AHL next year. And Boquist, you know, he's still 18 years old. And, and Evan Bouchard of, of Edmonton um, is probably going to be in the NHL next year. So Boquist is going to be the guy if he returns to London, which would be a, a huge, uh, which would be big for his development in, in handling responsibilities in all situations. And then um, Ian Mitchell going back to college and feeling like he can be the guy and being a consistent player, a number one defenseman on a day, day-to-day basis. So it's all... Uh, they're all developing at their own pace, but it seems a little unlikely that we're going to see someone beyond Yoki Haru uh, on the roster next season, um, which makes the next season even more interesting because all these guys could be coming at once. It also makes free agency um, a, a, a much more uh, interesting situation for this team because if they do want to improve the area that needs the most improvement of this team, which is defense, team defense, but a lot of that on the guys that that play on the blue line. Um, And we all kind of agree from Mark's perspective, he'd rather side uh, uh, on a more uh, cautious approach, keep guys down in the AHL until they're ready to go versus throwing them to the Wolves in the NHL and trying to learn on the fly. They're going to have to add a piece who's out of the system and not count on one of these young players to, you know, to be the answer to this team's defensive problems. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think there, there aren't 
a lot of spots, so somebody has to get moved out for for them to bring in guys externally, but also have spots for the young guys to come in. So that's what makes this summer very tricky. And you were going to run it down. Yeah, so let's get to that. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, the spots are, are you know, the musical chairs. There, there aren't any chairs, or, or at least there's going to have to be some movement to create some openings. Run down kind of the, the contracts as far as the defensemen in the Hawks organization. Yeah, so right now the, the current NHL defenseman contracts, uh, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, Connor Murphy, Eric Gustafsson, and Carl Dahlstrom, who signed a two-year extension. So we got, that's five guys right there. The RFAs include Gustav Forsling, Slater Kukuk, and Blake Hillman. Blake Hillman assuming he'll be back in Rockford if he resigns. So that leaves Forsling and Kuku. If, if they assumingly resign both of them, that's seven defensemen right there. So you're already preventing a guy like Yoki Haru from even making it to Chicago, even though he, he's, it's almost certain he's going to be on, on the Blackhawks full-time next year. So this summer... I don't know whether it's going to come before the draft, after the draft, after free agency. Spots are going to be are, are going to be they're going to have to be made available, and and that's the trick, tricky situation because we talk about next summer too. Like they don't even have a spots right now to to have these guys break in, so they're going to have to move move guys out. Who that who that is, I'm not sure. And, and I guess you kind of let the market market dictate uh, how which direction you go in. Um, but that's the the tricky situation they they found. Oh, and the the two. Um, UFA defensemen are Andrew Campbell and Brandon Davidson, who I don't expect to re-sign with them. Well, let's look forward and try to see, look at the guys that we think have guaranteed spots, okay? Yep. Uh, Keith and Seabrook simply um, because of their contract situations, you know, barring any, you know, major moves this, this offseason, um, they appear to be back. So Keith and Seabrook are back. Gustafson certainly is back. Uh, Murphy, back. And this is where I think I mean you know I know Dahlstrom signs that contract. Dahlstrom could still could still go to the Rockford. Yep, he just gets paid the same. Right. Yeah. So and I mean I don't think that that's the end of the world. So um, I don't think he's got a guaranteed spot. Let's just say that I don't think Cuckoo uh, has is going to be a, a lock to be signed. He he might. Um, I, I, I guess Forsling is kind of my right now my guy that I look at as. Um, I thought I was going to see more this past year, and I thought this was going to be a year for him to kind of emerge, because there's these guys coming, you know. There's there, and and it and it was kind of an up and down year. I mean, your thoughts on what you saw from Forsling? Yeah, and and I know he's still young, so you don't want to rush to judgment on on who this guy is as a player yet. But this is his third year now with the Blackhawks, and you, you like you said, you, you got a lot of young guys crowding the rosters in Rockford and, and NHL contracts, and you want these guys to start solidifying a full-time spot. And and the one thing with Forsling too, it, he's. It, it seem, he's seemingly always injured. So it, it's like just when you think you get a read on him, then he gets hurt, and then it's like, well, he, he struggled because he was hurt, and then he was getting his legs back and, and things like that. So I, I think he's the guy that he would probably get pushed out of the equation. The two guys for me that are just interesting to me long-term is Connor Murphy and Eric Gustafson because, I mean, we all know Gustafson, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, his contract situation after next year, what he's going to command, and then Connor Murphy – making $3.8 million, you know, over the next couple of years. I mean, he's playing third line or third pairing minutes. He's getting defensive zone draws, so he's playing important minutes. But, I mean, at some point, you can't pay everyone more than three. I mean, if you want a top four defenseman, you can't say, hey, 
you know, would you mind taking $2 million here? Like, you have to yeah. pay him like a top four defenseman. So, uh, th those are the two wild cards for me on where they fit into these plans long term. Yeah, so, I, again, this is the um, this is the challenge for the Blackhawks this offseason. Uh, you can't seemingly come back with the same uh, decor you had last year and just add Yoki Haru to the mix. That's not going to answer uh, your problems. And you, you, you do have an interesting – I mean, to me, and you've brought it up several times on this podcast, if Gustafson continues to put up elite numbers – then you have the decision as an organization. All right, you know, we're hoping that one of the four guys that we uh, selected and have in our system puts up the type of numbers Gustafson is. That may not happen. We would like that. That's why we went and, and, and we spent first round uh, picks on these guys. But we've got one in Gustafson who, let's say, he puts up. 50-plus points or, or close to 60 or whatever, who's shown us now in two consecutive years that he is he's that guy. And, and, and maybe he's the guy we, we want to give a contract to. Well, then, then you got to move right. some of your, your first-rounders who have maybe not progressed quite as quickly as you wanted. I mean, that, that's, that'll, be an, that'll be an interesting decision um, because, let's be honest, at the trade deadline, I mean, it, 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 the, the Gustafson would be heavily sought after. Yeah. A, because he'd fit under pretty much every team's salary cap situation because he's only making, what, 1.2? Yep. And uh, everybody could use uh, the production that he showed the, this past year. Yeah, I, the hard part is it, the Blackhawks could find themselves in a playoff race next summer sure. or next season, and you're approaching the trade deadline and selling off a guy like Gustafson, and it's like, this is what makes that situation very tricky because now might be the time to move him if you you can foresee that he financially will command a lot of money and you weren't prepared to pay him that or you play out the season see where the you know if they make the playoffs and they, they go on a little bit of a run you see where everyone's at and maybe you just trade his RFA rights or um, actually no he, he's a, he becomes a UFA so I, maybe you just let him walk you just let him walk and, and, and you know you you Thank you for your service, and then you you pay that money to Boquist and whenever they're, that's the, that's the situation they find themselves in because if they wanted to move him this summer would be the time to do it, not midseason next year. So uh, a lot to get to in future podcasts uh, this off season. We'll get into the UFA crop that's available uh, on the blue line, and we talked on our last podcast about the you know the one defenseman that. Is a is a number one according to Craig Button, uh, you know. And again, we all kind of just sat there and said, "How could the, you go with four consecutive uh, picks uh, in a system all going after defensemen?" Especially, but I guess stranger things could happen, right? That, that's going to be very interesting to me, and I would be interested to see if the Blackhawks don't, you know, if they if they think Bowen Byram is not a guy that they want to pursue, they could theoretically trade back if they wanted to and draft the forward that they just to like four or five or whatever if, if a team that because in that range is teams like Edmonton and teams like they're striving for for number one defenseman and if you fear that it's kind of like the, the the Chicago Bears when they drafted Trubisky the Bears thought that maybe a team was going to trade up to to draft Trubisky so they're like well we need to be the team that beats it 
even though they may have been competing with themselves, uh, th maybe that's a, a position the Blackhawks find themselves in where they could trade back but still get the player they want, although I don't envision it. All right, well, that's going to do it for the uh, Hawks Talk podcast, all about the Blackhawks defensive prospects. Our thanks to Mark Eaton, the director of player development to the Hawks. Thanks to Hawks PR for setting that up as well. And uh, thanks to Charlie Romaliotis and for you for listening. Appreciate your comments and your ratings. Go rate us. Go and rate us. Review us. And review us. And uh, we'll continue to crank out the podcast. We're shooting for at least one a week. Most weeks we're trying to do two for you. So we'll be continuing to crank out the Blackhawks uh, podcast content your way. And uh, coming soon, uh, Christopher Stieg, the newest member of the Rockford Ice Hawks. That's a wrap on this edition uh, for the Hawks Talk podcast brought to you by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. I'm Pat Boyle. Catch you next time.